It's 109. 109. 1209. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Eric Bilstadt, the, the breaking news has yep. just been reported. Uh, they, they say that, and as a matter of fact, the Drudge Report is actually who had it first, that President Trump is expected to announce sometime in the very near future that there has been an agreement reached which would reopen the federal government for at least a few weeks while they continue to negotiate stuff on the border wall. So will you do me a favor and monitor that? Yes. And we'll bring you more developments. Absolutely. Yeah. The president's going to speak on it. When he comes down, for sure, we'll bring that to you. Okay. And get Good back enough. To you. Right. That's it. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, this is just, I mean, literally hot off the presses in the last two or three minutes that the president uh, ske- scheduled an announcement and... Uh, Again, we don't know exactly what this means other than the fact that it would get federal employees back to work at least for a short period of time and it would get federal employees paid. We will keep you up to date. It is a breaking story, and as soon as the details are known, we will, of course, bring that to you. Looks like 1230 there might be an announcement. 1230. All right. Well, there you go. As soon as we have it, we will bring it to you. So stick around for that. Also in this hour of the program, the, the big story today is a guy named Roger Stone, who he, he was a, an advisor to Donald Trump, but actually he he goes back 40 years with Donald Trump. Ro- Roger Stone was a, a lobbyist for Donald Trump when Trump was in the casino business years and years ago. Roger Stone is... One of these gadfly political operatives who's been on the periphery of politics oh, going back to 1972 when he, he worked for the, the Nixon reelection campaign. He's 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 crazy. And, and, he's, and at the same time, he's a fascinating guy. There's a documentary that Netflix did on him last year that won all sorts of awards. It's called Get Me Roger Stone. We're, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to play the audio from the trailer uh, coming up in, in just a little bit to give you kind of an idea of Roger Stone. He was arrested this morning in a pre-dawn raid that I think was nothing short of appalling. This is the type of thing, and I, I haven't been very critical of Bob Mueller. I, I haven't. But the decision to arrest a guy like Roger Stone at 6 o'clock in the morning was borderline, in my opinion, abusive on the part of the prosecutors who made the decision and the FBI. I'll ex- and I, I get this. This has nothing to do at all with, you know, is, is Stone guilty or not. But it's the decision to go out and arrest him at his home six o'clock in the morning. I know CNN is denying that they were tipped off. I'm skeptical of that. But we'll talk about all that in just a little bit. The story I want to start with, though, and by the way, as we do every day, we are live streaming the first couple of segments on Facebook Live. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. I am wearing my warm Marquette sweatshirt today. My Golden Eagles play tomorrow with their 17-3, and three, so we're, we're showing the colors. And it also happens to be warm on a very cold day. Go to uh, Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. You can watch the radio show happen. You can also participate. In addition, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 on, on Twitter. What I do every day is send out links to several of the stories that we are going to be talking about, um, including, including this one. Here is the story that I want to start with. The Florida Secretary of State. And in Florida, unlike in Wisconsin, in Florida, the Secretary of State is appointed by the governor. Um, here, the Secretary of State is elected. The Secretary of State, this guy named Michael Ertel, and he was just appointed um, by the newly elected governor in Florida, the newly elected Republican governor. Ertel had been 
an elections commissioner in one of the Florida counties for years and years and years. I mean, going back to like 2005. Over that time, he's won a series of of awards for registering people. He, he won the Martin Luther King Jr. Award at one point in time for you know registering persons of color. So, I mean that that is the background that he has. He resigned yesterday. Now, what was it that caused him to resign? Well, here is the story. Back in October of 2005, and if you, you know, put your memories in the Wayback Machine, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast in um, about August and September of 2005, caused all sorts of, of devastation. In October of 2005, Two months after Hurricane Katrina hit, Ertel apparently attends a Halloween party dressed as a Katrina survivor. He, he's dressed in drag. In other words, he's going dressed as a woman. And in addition to going dressed as a woman, he's in blackface. So he's going as as a black woman and he's a hurricane katrina survivor all right that's that's the the costume and, and let me say this in the beginning it is before you could say anything else it's incredibly in poor taste all right there, there's just no question about it you want to kind of slap somebody around and say figuratively speaking actually maybe even literally and say what were you thinking you know that you decided to go to this party like that but he shows up at the party now, this is 2005, so it's going on 14 years ago, dressed up in, in blackface and in drag, and he's going as a Hurricane Katrina survivor. It, it is, it's in very, very poor taste. There's no question about it. All right, so he is appointed as the Florida Secretary of State. Um, a few days ago, these photographs that were taken of him at the Halloween party in 2005 surface. And as you might expect, there is this huge firestorm. And so what, what ends up happening is he goes in and, and he resigns yesterday over the, these photographs. I, and I let, let's be honest here. I'm sure this is one where since he serves at the pleasure of the governor, the governor probably looks at him and says, look, I, I just I don't need this kind of heat. You know, we're trying to get started. And I, I don't know what that picture says about how you feel now. But I just I, this is going to be a distraction. And, you know, he's tendered his resignation. So he's gone. All right. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am always intrigued by stories like this because it gets me wondering whether or not there is there is there a statute of limitations for bad behavior. Now, this wasn't a criminal act. I mean, it wasn't anything like that. It's not like he committed a crime. It's not like there's a body in the basement. But he exercised, he dressed up in a Halloween costume 14 years ago in incredibly bad taste. And I don't think anybody would would defend this. This is 14 years ago. But the question becomes, should something like this, a Halloween costume that this guy wore 14 years ago, should that cost him his job now? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. And as far as I know, like I say, there's no... There's no allegations that this guy behaved in a racially insensitive 
way, you know, while he was doing his job. Like I say, he, he's won awards for registering voters, you know, on, on multiple occasions. So he's apparently probably pretty good at what he does. But he showed up at this party wearing this costume and he was photographed. Should that have cost him his job? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And once again, we're live streaming, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Stick around. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, the breaking news is that there appears to have been a deal reached between the president and and Congress that would temporarily reopen the federal government. They're going to be uh, around 1230. There's going to be an update. We'll take it. And, of course, when the president has something to say, we will bring that to you as well. But for, I think, anybody who, like me, who's jumping on a jet in the next week and is a little bit concerned about are there going to be TSA people and air traffic controllers, that is certainly good news. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What we're discussing now is the the. Florida Secretary of State, that is an appointed position, was held up until yesterday by a guy named Mike Ertle. He's a military veteran. He's been an election commissioner in Florida for a long time. He was appointed by the Florida governor to be the Secretary of State. He resigned yesterday because a photograph of him attending a Halloween party in 2005 surfaced and in the party he in the photograph he's wearing blackface and he's dressed as a woman and he went supposedly as a Hurricane Katrina survivor it's a as a costume goes, it is an incredibly bad taste. There's no question about it, although there's lots of Halloween costumes that are in bad taste. My question is, should he have been forced out for this photograph 14 years ago? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike in Granville. Mike, hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Um, I think that, you know, this is interesting. We've seen a couple other things like this. Um Obviously, like you said, this was a horribly bad case. Yep. Um, it was just, you know, uh, just a, a, a phenomenal lack of tact. Um, but, and, you know, I guess, I, you know, do I believe that he should have resigned? I'm leaning towards yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing there is, is that we are in sort of a new, we're in a new generation of media and politics. And, you, I mean, if mm-hmm. I were to be held accountable for everything I said and did when I was, you know, in my 20s at a party, Halloween right. party, um, I wouldn't have a job today or tomorrow or for the foreseeable future. Right. Um, with that being said, um, people that want to um, run for public office, people that want to be decision makers in our body of government, need to know this moving forward. Yeah, okay, and, and see, and I, I, you're exactly right, I guess, moving forward. My question would be, do, do you change the rules on people? Because, look, in 2005, was this tacky? Was it in bad taste? A- absolutely. Sure. My guess, it never occurred to the guy that, gee, 15 years from now, this right. attending this party, that this is going to cost me my, my ability to, to serve your you job, know, the government. Yeah, your job, right. right. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, and I don't think people really take that into account. I think, you know, in the, you know, in sort of the days of yesteryear, you know, you could have shenanigans on the side but still be a great leader. Look at John F. Kennedy, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, it's, no, that's not, that's not going. That's not going to happen. That's not going to work. If you have a hiccup 
at least the public is going to know about it, and then they can make their decision. Is there right? No, thanks. You got see to me the intriguing thing is: is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior, and is it different? And this is, I guess, where I really come down on this: is it different? for conservatives and liberals and, and that to me is is the distinction i mean i look i i don't know i mean w- was this in bad taste to go to this particular party yes but I, I mean i think i think mike raises a really interesting point think about maybe some of the halloween parties you attended or something that that you did 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago 25 years ago when perhaps we, we had we had different standards, never thinking that, gee, this is going to be something that's going to get publicized years and years and years from now. Is that one event something that should say, OK, well, you're, you're not going to be able to serve in government or you're, you're not going to be able to be hired for a job? And I guess that's where I, I have the issue. I understand why they asked him to resign. Because in today's day and age, it doesn't matter what's in this guy's heart. That picture would haunt him. It would make it difficult for the governor to get his new administration off to a start. You'd always have that cloud over, hanging over his head. But I do wonder, you know, how fair is this? And are there double standards? I mean, we've already seen all sorts of instances where you have people on the other side of the aisle who do stuff which would be, well, perhaps disqualifying if they were conservatives, but because they're liberals, everybody ends up looking the other way. And not only is there a statute of limitations, it's not even considered a crime in the first place. Eddie in Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. Um, I think in politics, there is no statute of limitations because if somebody can find some dirt on you, they're going to find it, they're going to dig it up, and they're going to use it against you. So you almost, you know, if you're going to get into that field of work, you kind of got to mind your p's and q's early on and kind of know this stuff. Yeah, but However, I mean, how, I mean, okay, and that, that's a, that's an interesting concept, though. But how? All right, you're you're a child. I'm a child of the '70s. You're, you know, you're you're growing up. You know, you're you're in college. It's 1978 or something. Now, th- this guy was older than that. So I'm, but I'm, sure, you know, yeah. okay. You 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 attend a party in college. And then you're, you're thinking, okay, this is just a, a party in college. Then 35 years later or something, you decide that you want to run for state senator. You want to be secretary of state. And, again, we're not talking about criminal behavior or something. We're talking right. about a stupid, insensitive costume. Is that the kind of thing that should stop you from getting the gig? Oh, I, I agree. that it, I think it's, it's kind of uh, uh, a little bit of overkill. But that's the culture that we live in, <clears throat> especially yeah. in politics where scandals are. They've been going on for years. Ironically, in entertainment business, though, it's completely different. Yeah. You know, you can you can be you can do something stupid in the entertainment business or the sports world, like Jose Canseco or Hater or whatever. And if right. you're a great player, people will forgive you. But it just seems in politics, you're going to be magnified, and you know that when you get into that field. You know, it's it's almost like, uh oh, well, <laughs> kind of got to go back and think about some of these things that you've done and. and you got to right. just keep your fingers crossed because that's just the culture that we live in. Well, no, I think you're right. And, and maybe this is one of these things where you go back and you sit there, and when you're deciding whether to run or not, the question isn't, can I raise the money? The question isn't, am I going to be a good public service servant? The question is, gee, did I did I ever wear an embarrassing Halloween costume or something like that? Look, it's, I, I guess I, one of the things that intrigues me about this story, uh, again, is the fact that we, we have all this outrage that is developed. If there were evidence that this guy was a, a racist in the way he had conducted his job, I, absolutely, I, I think he, he would have to go. I do wonder 
if this was a reverse sort of situation and this guy was a liberal, would there have been a force of him out? And my, my answer is probably not. At the same time, this is a cautionary tale out there to everybody that we have this thing called the Internet and these types of things surface. So I guess it really is one of these situations that if you're thinking about getting involved in politics, particularly Republican politics, you really have to go through your background with a fine-tooth comb and say, gee, if something like this comes up, what is going to happen? Let's take a quick break. Thanks for watching on Facebook Live. It's 1227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Can you believe it? Baseball season right around the corner. It all starts this weekend at the sold-out Brewers on Deck at the Wisconsin Center in downtown Milwaukee. WTMJ and ESPN Wisconsin will be broadcasting live this Sunday from the annual Fan Fest. Hear from your favorite players, coaches, and, of course, Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not working it, but I'm I'm going with my grandson and my nephew. We're going to have a good time. The event is sold out, but if you don't have tickets, let WTMJ be your home for Brewers on Deck. It is sponsored by Century Foods. All right, as we've been telling you for the last half hour, The reports are that there has been an agreement reached between Congress and the White House, which will temporarily reopen the government. We we don't know the details of it, the length of it. The numbers I'm seeing is that the government's going to reopen for three weeks. I don't know if the agreement includes funding for any money that's going to be put up in advance towards the border wall. Don't know any of that. We expect that the president will be making an announcement sometime in the very near future, and I, uh, it, hopefully it's going to be in the next couple minutes. This is one of those times where I really don't want to launch into another topic, a complete topic, and then have us interrupted by the statement. But this is, of course, a very big deal. There is a, a story that has uh, been out there. USA Today had it, and the Journal Sentinel is running with this as well. Um, first reported by the Washington Post involving uh senator ron johnson and i i I know senator johnson's been on this program a a number of times and i know senator johnson going back to when he first ran for office and i sometimes i try to think about um you know what my private conversations with him have been versus what he said in public i I will tell you this and i'm I'm sure i i feel comfortable saying this uh senator johnson has been he's a guy who went to washington to try to get things done and he has been very, very, I think, frustrated by some of the just the kind of the political gamesmanship that's gone on over the years and, you know, dealing with all sorts of different things. And, and I know I know that Senator Johnson's been particularly frustrated by this this government shutdown, because as a business person himself, before he ran for office, he, he understands how important it is to get things done. So, you know, here's the story. Apparently, um, this is according to the Washington Post, there was a closed door lunch meeting with the Republican senators on on Thursday. And you had Mitch McConnell, who is the the leader of the Republican Senate. And apparently a number of the senators were venting their frustrations because they're hearing it from their constituents. Now, I understand maybe this federal shutdown isn't affecting you and maybe you don't care about it because it doesn't affect you. But it's affecting a lot of people and it's going to affect even more. But more importantly, as we've talked about repeatedly, I think almost everybody 
agrees, regardless of whether you want to blame the Democratic Congress or you want to blame the president. It's just it's no way to run a railroad and to have a partial government shutdown. that has been going on for over a month when, you know, we are the, the one remaining superpower in the world makes us look small. It makes us look silly. And I think it's incredibly frustrating. So apparently the story is that um, Senator Johnson um, kind of lashed out, you know, I think his frustration, and at least according to the reports, he says to Mitch McConnell, he says, you put us, you know, in this, you know, p- position. And then, you know, Mitch McConnell apparently, you know, said, you know, you're, you know, are you are you blaming me? Do you think I, I want this? And he said, well, look, this is Johnson said we're in the situation. This is where we are because you know, you're having these votes and we know that they're going to fail and we know that they're not going to work out. You know, so, yeah, we're we're in this situation because you haven't been able to to move the, the ball along. And I think that's the frustration that a lot of people have. And Ron Johnson think, again, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat. I, I think Ron Johnson is expressing the feeling that a lot of us have, which is, come on, we've just got to be able to get something done, and you cannot have the government continue to be shut down. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, hopefully we'll be in a position to hear from the President of the United States on this shutdown. 1240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <laughs> Twelve forty-three, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are still awaiting the President of the United States. The breaking news in the last forty-five minutes is apparently there's been a deal struck to partially to reopen the government for a period of weeks while the border wall gets discussed. The uh, that's the Rose Garden. You can tell, boy, you can tell there's a difference between D.C. and Milwaukee because they're they're doing this. This announcement is going to be outside. I guess would would not be doing that in eight degree temperatures. Don't know when they're going to start. So I, we're just we're just going to go ahead. We will interrupt when the president comes out. The other big news story out of D.C. this morning is that Roger Stone, who is a political operative. Going back to 1972, he's been a campaign advisor to Donald Trump. He's been more than that. He's been he's one of the guys that decades ago apparently encouraged Donald Trump to run for president. He was a lobbyist for Trump when Trump was in the casino business. Um, He has been on the periphery of politics. He was a sort of dirty trickster for Richard Nixon back in the 70s. And, you know, he's worked with or for or on behalf of Republican candidates um, since since then. He's one of these sort of larger than life type of type of people. He's got a big tattoo of Richard Nixon's face in the middle of his back between his shoulders. Um, And and he's just. He's one of these sort of out-there kind of gadfly people. To give you an idea on who Roger Stone is, there's a documentary that they that it's it's on it's available on network Netflix. It's called Get Me Roger Stone. I watched it uh, a few weeks ago, and it really I mean I always knew who Roger Stone was, but you kind of go and you go, wow, this guy he's he just and and there's people like Roger Stone on the left too. Don't get me wrong, but Roger Stone is this kind of larger than life political operative, sales guy, whatever. What I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about what happened to him this morning. But first, just to give you an idea of Roger Stone, I want to play you. This is the trailer 
from the the Netflix the movie that it's a documentary that is now available on Netflix called Get Me Roger Stone. It will give you the idea of the type of guy we were talking we were talking about, and it kind of leads into what I want to discuss about what happened this morning. So this is the trailer from the Netflix doc from the documentary now available on Netflix called Get Me Roger Stone. He loves the game. He has fun with it, and he's very good at it. I'm an agent provocateur. Political strategist. Controversial as you can get. An incredible capacity for treachery. Win at all cost mentality. When people think of Washington corruption, they think of Roger Stone. Those who say I have no soul, those who say I have no principles, are losers. Those are bitter losers. There's really nobody quite like Roger Stone. The Nixon tattoo is really all you need to know about Roger. We really pioneered negative campaign advertising. He created the modern sleazeball lobbyist. Washington's been worse for it ever since. Stone's rule. It is better to be infamous than never be famous at all. The swinger scandal happened. My private life is nobody's business. He got chased out of Washington. He's looking to see if he can find an angle. I was like a jockey looking for a horse. You can't win the race if you don't have a horse. saw something that nobody else saw back in the early 80s. I suggested that Trump should explore a bid for the presidency. He created Donald Trump as a political figure. You're the biggest lie, loser. What have I lied about? Have you spoken with the WikiLeaks founder? You're a rape tonight. Roger, you can't just say that. You have to be outrageous to get noticed. America may be collapsing, but Roger Stone is determined to enjoy it. I revel in your hatred, because if I weren't effective, you wouldn't hate me. <laughs> that, that gives you an idea of Roger Stone. You know, he's 66 years old, and he's, again, been this sort of political gadfly, a dirty trickster, you, you name it. And he's been a, a strong advocate for Donald Trump. The, he's been under investigation for allegedly lying to the the special counsel in connection with you know what what did people know about the WikiLeaks thing involving you know emails from Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee and all that type of stuff he he stone has been talking about the fact that he thought he was going to get indicted for a number of months and this morning what happened was shortly after 6 a.m. 17 Vehicles driven by FBI agents approached his, he lives in Fort Lauderdale, approached this big house he has in Fort Lauderdale. Interestingly, CNN, acting on what they say was a reporter's gut instinct, happened to be there at a, with a camera crew as the agents pull up to the, the guy's door and they bang on the door. You know, FBI, he comes down and then, you know, he's taken into custody. They He's at the house for 30 minutes. What they do is they let him get dressed. He, he came down in his, his pajamas and then they, they let him you know get dressed and then they go down and they put him in handcuffs and haul him off and CNN is conveniently there to, to film this. And, you know, he makes his appearance. He's released on, on bail. There's a little bit of a confrontation afterwards where, you know, he's giving statements to the news media. I didn't do it. I'm going to fight it. You heard, you know, this 
is just you know Roger Stone that, that's out there. People are screaming, lock him up, and, and now you know he's he's been released, and the proceedings are are going on. All right, here's what I think is perhaps the most interesting aspect of the story. One is. Okay, does anybody really believe that nobody tipped off CNN? Uh, that, that's number one. But that's not the aspect of this that I really want to discuss. Here's the deal. Let me give you a perspective of this as somebody who, who was a prosecutor. When a grand jury returns an indictment, you, you get a sheet. Now, maybe, maybe this is all computerized now. But you get a sheet saying, what do you want to do? How do you want to notify the defendant that he or she has been indicted? And it varies from defendant to defendant. If you've just indicted 10 members of a street gang who are responsible for dealing crack cocaine, what you're going to do is you're going to have them arrested. So you check the box that says arrest warrant. And then the clerk's office issues arrest warrants, and then you coordinate raids. What happens is in the federal government, and, and typically you, you, you're not allowed to do nighttime raids. There are exceptions. But... You know, it, it's six in the morning. So what you do, if you are, if you're raiding a drug house, and believe me, I, I've I've organized a lot of these raids and got a lot of search warrants and arrest warrants. What you do is you want to get the people when they're groggy. You want to get them when they're asleep. You don't want to give them if you want to catch them by surprise. You don't want to give them a chance to fight back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's it. You, you show up at six oh one. All right. That that is not an unusual tactic if you are going after people that are dangerous drug dealers or something like that. The other option you have as a prosecutor, though, you you don't have to arrest everybody that's been indicted. As a matter of fact, most people who are indicted for white-collar crimes or things of the like you, you, you don't you wouldn't think of it of, of having them arrested. What you do is you check the box that says notice. And in the case of, for example, Roger Stone, he has an attorney. The special counsel's office knew who his attorney was. And what you would normally do is you check this box saying, notify the attorney, make arrangements for the person to surrender themselves. That That's what you would do. And you would set up a time, all right, he's going to be arraigned, he's going to appear in front of a judge, we're going to let him report. That's what you do in most cases that don't involve violence and don't involve a concern that somebody is going to run. And believe me, Roger Stone is not going to run anywhere. Roger Stone is reveling in the fact that he's been indicted. He's been talking about this for a a long while. So which brings me then to the question of of sending the FBI out at 601 in the morning to bang on his door and to arrest this guy and to have him do the perp walk, you know, in handcuffs, where, again, CNN, based on what they say was a reporter's gut instinct, just happens to be there to film it. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm not arguing that Roger Stone is a sympathetic figure. I, I do think what they did today was excessive and, and arguably I haven't been that critical of the Mueller investigation, but the decision to show up at Roger Stone's house at 6 o'clock in the morning, bang on the door, and take him into custody was overkill. It was, I think, in my opinion, it was an effort at political theater. And candidly, I think it was beneath the office of the special counsel. If you wanted Roger Stone to show up, all you have to do is call his lawyer and say, hey, he's just been indicted. We're going to unseal the indictment, and we want him in federal court at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I guarantee you, he would have been in federal court at 10 o'clock in the morning. 
but yet you had the FBI go out and do this particular raid. This very much reminded me of what John Doe prosecutors did a number of years ago when they decided, uh, again, this was the kind of witch hunt into was there coordination between these other groups and Scott Walker's political campaign, where they show up with search warrants at six o'clock in the morning, you know, for at people's homes, you know, folks who were were just campaign workers. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I have I take no position on whether Roger Stone is guilty or not, and I understand he rubs people the wrong way. I think this was an abuse for the FBI agents to go out and to take him into custody in this fashion, and. Candidly, I think if the situation had been reversed and this were Democratic operatives that this happened to, I don't believe that they would have done it this way. Instead, I think you would have done what normally happens. You get a notice, show up at 930 in the morning to be arraigned. 414-799-1620. I lost respect for Bob Mueller today. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Twelve fifty six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, look. Here, here's my beef. I don't know if Roger Stone is guilty or innocent, but this is a guy who's been a very prominent political operative. Who's been, you know, he's been on TV talking about, oh, I know they're going to indict me. I think that this is a BS indictment. I'm going to fight it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In cases like that. You don't tip off CNN and then go out and arrest the guy in his pajamas at six o'clock in the morning, unless. You are trying to, I think, convey political theater or, I don't know, inflame certain passions or whatever. What you do is you just say to his lawyer, all right, he's been indicted. Come on down. Have him turn himself in. He'll be fingerprinted and appear in front of a judge. But instead, we had this debacle, this this spectacle at 6 o'clock this morning. Kevin in Milwaukee. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hey. Hi, Kevin. Hi. What do you think? Well, uh, you were implying that uh, they wouldn't do that if it was a Democrat. Well, what about when the governor of Illinois, Rod Blagojevich, a Democrat, uh, who I might be mispronouncing, was arrested? They arrested him in the wee hours in the morning, too. Don't remember. If they did that, that would be wrong. That's not the way you typically handle white-collar type of cases. So I'm just saying, I just... I, I, and I don't remember them hauling him off like that, but there, there was no reason to arrest Stone in this fashion. There was no reason to go out and have the spectacle. And again, I, you know, I, I understand that some people are saying, well, well, who cares how he was arrested? Well, all right. Again, he, maybe he's guilty, maybe he's not. But th- this is kind of the heavy handed examples of government that's out there. There's no reason to take him in. And again, he, he's not, He's not a flight risk. I mean, he, he's out on $250,000 bail. He's not going anywhere. This is a guy who revels in this particular moment. And I understand that there's some people out there who just hate Donald Trump. Oh, we hate Donald Trump. This is going to be the thing that brings Donald Trump down. Maybe it will be. Maybe it won't. But at the same time, you don't need to have these overreaching tactics employed by prosecutors. I think it makes everybody look bad. 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Well, as we've been telling you since the program started, we're kind of in a holding pattern. The uh, president was originally scheduled, the original thing suggested it was going to be at noon, our time. Then it was going to be at 1230. Now it's like 108. 
Um, there's all these people that are assembled uh, outside at the White House, which tells you what the weather must be like in Washington, D.C., as opposed to here, waiting for the president to come out and, and announce, again, the, the details. The, the reports that are surfacing so far suggest that there has been a deal cut between the White House and congressional leaders. The deal, the way it's at least initially being reported, is it would open up the government for a brief period of time, that is a, a couple weeks, to allow further negotiations on the, the wall and things like that. Don't know, now, when this was being kicked around yesterday, one of the things that was coming out of the White House is they were saying, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to want at least a down payment on, on the wall. Uh, I don't know if that is included in that, and you, you do have to wonder is this just kicking the can down the road? Because, again, if if people are intractable on this issue and that the Democrats in the House of Representatives have decided that it is a moral issue, that you, you can't – we can't have fencing. We, we can't have any sort of barrier. That is immoral. And so under no circumstances are we going to consider funding a wall – and President Trump is saying, well, no, I absolutely have to have money for the wall. Then you wonder what, what's going on here. And if you just reopen the government for three weeks, are we right back three weeks from now in the same situation? The larger point is that this is, again, it's just no way to run a railroad. And it's been, I was talking to somebody last night. I don't know how many years it's been since we've had a budget. We, we operate government on these continuing resolutions, meaning we careen from crisis to crisis to crisis on these, you know, spending authorizations. It just, at some point in time, You'd like to see governments start to implement some of the rules that people have to do in their real life and that private businesses do. You know, every year, private businesses sit down and they, they put together a budget. And this is how much we have to spend. And this is, you know, how much we accept, expect that we're going to get money in. Now, it's not saying that budgets don't change from time to time. Maybe you have predictions as to how much you're going to, how much you're going to sell. And, Maybe you, you're not selling that. So if after the first six months you're not meeting your projections, well, maybe you have to adjust your budget and say, all right, well, that means that these improvement projects that we were planning to do in the third or fourth quarter, we can't do that anymore. So you've got that potentially there. Or alternatively, maybe it's, hey, we've got this budget that's out here, and, and guess what? We're exceeding all our numbers. We're making all this money. All right, we're now getting the 60-second warning from the networks. But, again, it's just – the way we do this, and again, this isn't a Republican thing, it's not a Democrat thing, it's not a conservative thing, it's not a liberal thing, it's just careening from one crisis to another with one continuing resolution after another. Okay, we're going to fund the government for 90 days, and then we're going to fund the government for another 60 days, and we're going to constantly be on the brink of stuff. To me, all it does is it creates uncertainty, and it's uncertainty for federal workers, it's uncertainty for the economy. You know, Wall Street, investors, companies in the private sector like a degree of certainty. You like to know what's going on. You like to know that, okay, you know, we can we can have these deals and we can make these situations and we know that this is what it's going to be and we can anticipate that if this is going to happen now, we know that this is going to be where we are two months from now. You, you like to have that certainty. You demand to have that certainty in your real life. And yet, you know, we don't end up getting that. So, again, we're waiting. We anticipate that the president's supposed to be out any second now to address what this deal is. Right. That's been at least 60 seconds and he's not out there. I'm talking to my producer, Gru, who keeps saying, well, this is going to happen. All right. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a very quick break, and then we're going to interrupt. My producer is looking at me saying he's going to come out during the break. All right, well, then we'll interrupt, but um, we'll be back, hopefully, with the President of the United States. It's 113. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Fourteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. My producer grew. You, you were twitchy there. I, I was ready to do this live read for a commercial. You're like, well, the, the president's going to come out and he's going to be speaking. This was supposed to be at twelve, then twelve thirty. You told me it was going to be a one minute warning, and that was like five minutes ago. I was like, let's play some of these commercials instead of just trying to vamp and fill time while we're waiting for the announcement. And but my, my producer, well, he might come out and speak. No, trust me, after you've been doing this for 20-some years, you understand that that's one of the things that comes with being the leader of the free world is that you get to operate on your own time schedule. Uh, my producer asked, do I think he wants to come out? Well, yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I don't know. There, there was an aide that came out and apparently put out looked like a little briefing book or the text, and that was a minute or two ago. But, we're again, if you're just tuning in, this is the longest, it's a partial government shutdown, but it's the longest government shutdown in American history. It's creating all sorts of issues. The pain is starting to spread. You've got um, air traffic. Air traffic is delayed at uh, LaGuardia in New York and up and down the eastern seaboard because they've had so many air traffic controllers who have called in sick. TSA, the lines, not in Milwaukee, this hasn't been an issue, but at other places, um, there's been longer and longer delays as TSA workers are just calling in sick or not showing up or or whatever. And so there's been this incredible pressure as, as time goes on to try to get something done. The other crush is, of course, that at the, well, in the next few days, uh, tax returns, tax refunds are going to start to go out. The IRS, and we've talked about this twice, I think, in the last week, the IRS, during government shutdowns, historically, never called back people that process tax returns. They typically weren't considered to be essential employees. Recognizing this time that it would be a huge debacle were people to send in their tax returns and have their refunds delayed, what they did is they decided that a number of these workers have now suddenly become essential workers, so they were called in. That The trick, though, is there's a provision in the contracts that the IRS workers sign that says there's a you say the president's been introduced okay here we go president trump thank you very much my fellow americans i am very proud to announce today that we have reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government As everyone knows, I have a very powerful alternative, but I didn't want to use it at this time. Hopefully it will be unnecessary. I want to thank all of the incredible federal workers and their amazing families who have shown such extraordinary devotion in the face of this recent hardship. You are fantastic people. You are incredible patriots. Many of you have suffered far greater than anyone, but your families would know or understand. And not only did you not complain, but in many cases you encouraged me to keep going because you care so much 
about our country and about its border security. Again, I thank you. All Americans, I thank you. You are very, very special people. I am so proud that you are citizens of our country. When I say make America great again, it could never be done without you. Great people. In a short while, I will sign a bill to open our government for three weeks until February 15th. I will make sure that all employees receive their back pay very quickly or as soon as possible. It'll happen fast. I am asking Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to put this proposal on the floor immediately. After 36 days of spirited debate and dialogue, I have seen and heard from enough Democrats and Republicans that they are willing to put partisanship aside, I think, and put the security of the American people first. I do believe they're going to do that. They have said they are for complete border security, and they have finally and fully acknowledged that having barriers, fencing, or walls, or whatever you want to call it, will be an important part of the solution. A bipartisan conference committee of House and Senate lawmakers and leaders will immediately begin reviewing the requests of our homeland security experts and experts they are, and also law enforcement professionals who have worked with us so closely. We want to thank Border Patrol, ICE, and all law enforcement. Been incredible. Based on operational guidance from the experts in the field, they will put together a homeland security package for me to shortly sign into law. Over the next 21 days, I expect that both Democrats and Republicans will operate in good faith. This is an opportunity for all parties to work together for the benefit of our whole beautiful, wonderful nation. If we make a fair deal, the American people will be proud of their government for proving that we can put country before party. We can show all Americans and people all around the world that both political parties are united when it comes to protecting our country and protecting our people. Many disagree. But I really feel that working with Democrats and Republicans, we can make a truly great and secure deal happen for everyone. Walls should not be controversial. Our country has built 654 miles of barrier over the last 15 years, and every career Border Patrol agent I have spoken with has told me that walls work. They do work. No matter where you go, they work. Israel built a wall, 99.9% successful. Won't be any different for us. They keep criminals out. 
They save good people from attempting a very dangerous journey from other countries, thousands of miles, because they think they have a glimmer of hope of coming through with a wall. They don't have that hope. They keep drugs out and they dramatically increase efficiency by allowing us to patrol far larger areas with far fewer people. It's just common sense. Walls work. That's why most of the Democrats in Congress have voted in the past for bills that include walls and physical barriers and very powerful fences. The walls we are building are not medieval walls. They are smart walls designed to meet the needs of frontline border agents and are operationally effective. These barriers are made of steel, have see-through visibility, which is very important, and are equipped with sensors, monitors, and cutting-edge technology, including state-of-the-art drones. We do not need 2,000 miles of concrete wall from sea to shiny sea. We never did. We never proposed that. We never wanted that because we have barriers at the border where natural structures are as good as anything that we can build. They're already there. They've been there for millions of years. Our proposed structures will be in predetermined high-risk locations that have been specifically identified by the Border Patrol to stop illicit flows of people and drugs. No border security plan can ever work without a physical barrier. It just doesn't happen. At the same time, we need to increase drug detection technology and manpower to modernize our ports of entry, which are obsolete. The equipment's obsolete. They're old. They're tired. This is something we have all come to agree on and will allow for quicker and safer commerce. These critical investments will improve and facilitate legal trade and travel through our lawful ports of entry. Our plan also includes desperately needed humanitarian assistance for those being exploited and abused by coyotes, smugglers, and the dangerous journey north. The requests we have put before Congress are vital to ending the humanitarian and security crisis on our southern border. Absolutely vital. Will not work without it. This crisis threatens the safety of our country and thousands of American lives. Criminal cartels, narco-terrorists, transnational gangs like MS-13, and human traffickers are brazenly violating U.S. laws and terrorizing innocent communities. Human traffickers. The victims are women and children. Maybe to a lesser extent, believe it or not, children. Women are tied up, they're bound, duct tape put around their faces, around their mouths. In many cases, they can't even breathe. Put in the backs of cars or vans or trucks. 
they don't go through your port of entry. They make a right turn going very quickly. They go into the desert areas or whatever areas you can look at. And as soon as there's no protection, they make a left or a right into the United States of America. There's nobody to catch them. There's nobody to find them. They can't come through the port because if they come through the port, people will see four women sitting in a van with tape around their face and around their mouth. Can't have that. And that problem, because of the Internet, is the biggest problem. It's never been like this before that you can imagine. It's at the worst level, human trafficking, in the history of the world. This is not a United States problem. This is a world problem. But they come through areas where they have no protection, where they have no steel barriers, where they have no walls. And we can stop almost 100% of that. The profits reaped by these murderous organizations are used to fund their malign and destabilizing conduct throughout this hemisphere. Last year alone, ICE officers removed 10,000 known or suspected gang members like MS-13 and members as bad as them. Horrible people, tough, mean, sadistic. In the last two years, ICE officers arrested a total of 266,000 criminal aliens inside of the United States, including those charged or convicted of nearly 100,000 assaults, 30,000 sex crimes, and 4,000 homicides, or as you would call them, violent, vicious killings can be stopped. Vast quantities of lethal drugs, including meth, fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine, are smuggled across our southern border and into U.S. schools and communities. Drugs kill much more than 70,000 Americans a year and cost our society in excess of $700 billion. The sheer volume of illegal immigration has overwhelmed federal authorities and stretched our immigration system beyond the breaking point. Nearly 50 migrants a day are being referred for medical assistance. They are very, very sick, making this a health crisis as well. It's a very big health crisis. People have no idea how big it is unless you're there. Our backlog in the immigration courts is now far greater than the 800,000 cases that you've been hearing about over the last couple of years. Think of that, though. 800,000 cases because our laws are obsolete, so obsolete. They're the laughing stock all over the world. Our immigration laws all over the world, they've been there for a long time, are the laughing stock all over the world. We do not have the necessary space or resources to detain, house, vet, screen, and safely process 
this tremendous influx of people. In short, we do not have control over who is entering our country, where they come from, who they are, why they are coming. The result for many years is a colossal danger to public safety. We're going to straighten it out. It's not hard. It's easy if given the resources. Last month was the third straight month in a row with 60,000 apprehensions on our southern border. Think of that. We apprehended 60,000 people. That's like a stadium full of people, a big stadium. There are many criminals being apprehended, but vast numbers are coming because our economy is so strong. We have the strongest economy now in the entire world. You see what's happening. We have nowhere left to house them and no way to promptly remove them. We can't get them out because our laws are so obsolete, so antiquated, and so bad. Without new resources from Congress, we will be forced to release these people into communities, something we don't want to do, called catch and release. You catch them. Even if they're criminals, you then release them. And you can't release them from where they came. So they go into our country and end up in places you would least suspect. And we do as little releasing as possible, but they're coming by the hundreds of thousands. I have had zero Democrat lawmakers volunteer to have them released into their districts or states. And I think they know that. And that's what we're going to be discussing over the next three weeks. The painful reality is that the tremendous economic and financial burdens of illegal immigration fall on the shoulders of low-income Americans, including millions of wonderful, patriotic, law-abiding immigrants who enrich our nation. As Commander-in-Chief, my highest priority is the defense of our great country. We cannot surrender operational control over the nation's borders to foreign cartels, traffickers, and smugglers. We want future Americans to come to our country legally and through a system based on merit. We need people to come to our country. We have great companies moving back into the United States. And we have the lowest employment and the best employment numbers that we've ever had. There are more people working today in the United States than have ever worked in our country. We need people to come in to help us, the farms, and with all of these great companies that are moving back. Finally, they're moving back. People said it couldn't happen. It's happening. And we want them to enjoy the blessings of safety and liberty and the rule of law we cannot protect and deliver these blessings without a strong and secure border. I believe that crime in this country 
can go down by a massive percentage if we have great security on our southern border. I believe drugs, large percentages of which come through the southern border, will be cut by a number that nobody will believe. So let me be very clear. We really have no choice but to build a powerful wall or steel barrier. If we don't get a fair deal from Congress, the government will either shut down on February 15th again, or I will use the powers afforded to me under the laws and the Constitution of the United States to address this emergency. We will have great security. And I want to thank you all very much. Thank you very much. Okay, that's President Trump's announcement. Um, he's not taking questions from the media. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you my instant analysis of this. Then we're going to open up the phone lines and allow you to react to this. Number one. In the question between, and some of you aren't going to like this, but in the question between, you know, who who's going to come out on top and who blinked, President Trump blinked. I mean, the, the deal is the government that has been shut down for the last part of the month is going to reopen. All the federal employees are going to get back pay as, as soon as possible. I'm going to try to get this done right away. So government is reopened. We're back where we would have been 30 days ago, except the federal workers. Some have been working without a paycheck. Others have been laid off. Everybody's going to get their back pay. There is no commitment in this agreement. He's reopening it. There is no down payment on on a wall, nothing. Just apparently this agreement that we're going to continue for the next couple of weeks to discuss this. So I, I don't see how you interpret that as the president blinked. And, uh, you know, he says, well, you know, maybe we'll shut down the government again, you know, in mid-February if we don't have this or I'll do something else. But the essentially the government has been shut down for the better part of a month over the issue of a wall. And President Trump is really no closer to getting that wall than he was a month ago. So that's take number one. If you ask me who blinked, in this case, it was the president. Now, sometimes that doesn't. I, that doesn't necessarily mean that he, he shouldn't have under the circumstances, which leads me to my second point. What was it that caused this? Why this afternoon? What happened? And I, I'll give you my theory on this. As I have been predicting over the course of the last couple weeks, what it was going to take to get somebody to move was a a, a hardship crisis slash disaster, something in that that started affecting a large number of people that finally brings political pressure. And I understand there's 800,000 federal workers who were affected, but you know most of the, the fallout from the, the shutdown, at least initially, was contained. Well, what happened today was you had large numbers of air traffic controllers in certain key areas who didn't show up, called in sick or whatever. And what you had were you had delays all up and down of air travel all up and down the eastern seaboard. 
Boston, you know, starting in Boston and going all the way down to Jacksonville. You had uh, flights that were being delayed by a couple hours because there weren't enough air traffic controllers to get these flights off the ground. You had a number of flights that were canceled because it was all backing up. And the FAA said um, we were having these problems because we're dealing with staffing sort of problems. So it was kind of like this rolling series of delays. I think what happened, and this was this a disaster? Was there an aviation disaster? No, there, there wasn't. But what this was was, all right, this is now starting to affect a whole lot of people because folks are used to flying up and down, and if now you're going to be looking at several hours of delays, we, you can't have it. People are going to revolt, and I think that's what finally got this moving. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did President Trump blink? Do you feel, I don't know, do you feel less of him for doing that? Was this whole 30-day shutdown uh, essentially just a complete exercise in futility? Was this a, a waste of time? And would we really shut down the government again February 15th? 414-799-1620. Again, my two initial takes is that the president blinked. Don't necessarily fault him for that because I think it's important to get the government open. And two, the driving catalyst was the fact that Air travel was being significantly delayed up and down the eastern seaboard today, and you had all sorts of politicians and people saying, we cannot have this happen. We can't have these rolling delays that spread all across the country. 414-799-1620, your reaction to the news that the government is opened up for business. 139, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, here's the developments. President Trump has now authorized the federal government to reopen. He's going to sign a continuing resolution. He's not getting any funding for the the wall. Um, So no commitment at all. He said people are going to negotiate in good faith. February 15th is the latest deadline, at which point in time he might decide to shut the government down again or take other measures. Um, I believe, and I I don't necessarily fault him for this, I, I think clearly the president blinked. And I don't fault him for that because it's time for somebody. This this government shutdown could not have gone on, I think, any longer. Why did this happen today? Well, it's because air traffic controllers were calling in sick in large numbers along the eastern seaboard, and air travel was being delayed. And I think lots of people just kind of freaked out and said, all right, well, if this is going to happen, you know, we can't have this country paralyzed in this fashion. Let's start with Michelle in Waterford. Hi, Michelle. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Um, I, I think the president might have blinked, but only because he cares about the United States of America people and their mm-hmm. families. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. You had your, your head, you had your cell phone. You had your phone up, your radio up in the background, Michelle. So you were hearing yourself seven seconds later. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, I look. I don't think. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with blinking. I, I understand if you watch the MSNBCs of the world, it's going to be, oh, this is a huge victory for Nancy Pelosi. And, and you know what? It, it it may be in the short run. At the same time, I, I think President Trump did what needed to be done. This shutdown wasn't accomplishing 
what he was hoping it was. And what you started to see was that the pain that federal employees felt when they were working without pay was now starting to spread. So, I mean, I, I give President Trump some credit. Here's a text. Um, I'm glad the president is now the adult in the room. Um, I do not expect the Democrats to follow through and compromise now that the government opens is is open. If they don't budge, now they are to blame. 414-799-1620. Did Donald Trump blink? Yeah, I think he did. Is that necessarily a bad thing? No, it, it it's not. The tactic he was using to try to get funding for the wall wasn't working. And sometimes, I, I think when you're in a political battle or whatever, and you recognize that, hey, I'm not winning this type of thing, as I frequently say, what you do is you kind of declare victory. And, you know, if you've dug yourself a hole, you fill in the hole, you climb out, you declare victory, and then you move on. 414-799-1620. Ray, who is calling us from Illinois. Hi, Ray. You're on WPMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How you doing? Always I'm, enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um, first and foremost, I'm very, very happy that the federal government's going to be back open. I have a lot of friends that work for the federal government, and uh, just uh, seeing some of the pain that they've gone through, especially people that have been furloughed, I, sure. I'm really happy to, <clears throat> that they're back open. Uh, yes, Trump did blink, um, and I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, you have things like air travel that's being disrupted. Uh, that that affects a whole lot of people, and including a lot of his business interests that, right. and stuff. Having said all that, I think we're going to be right back here three weeks from now because he's still making the case or trying to for the wall. And I don't think the Democrats are going to budge, especially now that they got him to blink. And I think we're to be right back here three weeks from now. I certainly hope I'm wrong, but I think that's where we're headed. Doesn't he have to? Okay, th- here's the thing: the the shutdown strategy didn't work. It didn't get him the wall. And no. if you look at all the polls, he's the one that's getting blamed for this. So it was it was kind of a it was a losing strategy. If if on February fifteenth he goes back and he he rolls out the same strategy. Isn't that like insanity, doing the same thing over and over again oh, and being surprised he, the results aren't different? Gonna, Jeff, I think he's going to try to, uh, at that time, I think he's going to pull out the national emergency uh, yeah. uh, card, and I think he's going to play that. So I think he's basically saying, look, I'm going to give you three weeks. We're going to we're going to negotiate. Um, I, I'm hoping people will negotiate in good faith. But he even said in his speech, I have powers that I could have yeah. used that I didn't want to use. So I think that's what's going to happen. I, I You know, Ray, you know, you you and I, I don't know if our crystal ball is cloudy, but we're looking at the same crystal ball. I, I agree completely. The I mean, unless you learn nothing, the the idea of the government shutdown that went for 30 days, it didn't accomplish anything. It didn't get the wall. I understand the president's making a case, and I'm not even talking right now. I'm talking about the politics of this. I'm not talking about whether the wall is a good idea or a bad idea. I'm just talking about, from the perspective of the president, how do you get it done? The strategy of, of shutting down the government did not work. It, it just it just didn't, and it wasn't going to work, and Democrats realized that the president was getting blamed for this, and I think that was kind of a predictable thing that a lot of us said, and so that the president has now moved on to whatever plan B is. I would be stunned if we see another, another government shutdown simply because that strategy did not work. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Mark in Heartland. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Oh, great, um, great topic, Hi, Jeff. I'm glad somebody had the courage to call these questions. Um, yes, the president did blink, but I think it's a strategic blink. I think he's warned what he's clearly going to do, just like your caller did before. Mm-hmm. 
I am looking at Wikipedia right now at the National Emergencies Act passed in 1976. A number of presidents have used it since that time. You also go to uh, the, the uh, article of our U.S. Constitution, and it clearly states the executive has the right to protect the nation mm-hmm. in the case of national security. Um, of what I can see on in the Internet, and again, I've gone to four or five sources, and I've actually found National Public Radio and uh, magazines like Atlantic and the New Yorker who have done uh, research on this. Mm-hmm. And when the president declares a National Emergency Act, generally it does stand the test against... Yeah, I mean, th- there will be some challenges and stuff, but I, I see, I think you're exactly right. I mean, th- th- this was... The wall is very important to him uh, for a variety of reasons, including, you know, the, the need to, de- to, de- to deliver politically, apart, again, from the merit of the wall one way or the other. And I, I think it's apparent that the government shutdown method did not work, especially with the Democrats holding control of the House of Representatives. So you're with me. We, we agree that it's not going to be another shutdown come February 15th. He'll move to Plan B and, and maybe the emergency of that. And, and, Jeff, if I can add one more thing sure. quickly. Um, he's acting in the in the interest. I believe those statistics he's been quoting a number of times now in speeches, and I think whenever the State of the Union is again, he will quote those statistics again in the State of the Union that there is severe damage coming across mm-hmm. our southern border. There is definite hurt going on down there. Yeah. Well, thanks again. I mean, I, again, I don't want to get drawn back into the discussion of the wall because I end up saying the same thing. I mean, I. I, I I don't know if it's a be-all, end-all. $5 billion for some sort of structure, whatever you want to call it, in certain areas doesn't strike me as being unreasonable. Is that going to stop all illegal immigration? No, of course not. But, again, the example I always use is Summerfest has fencing, all right? Why does Summerfest have fencing? Well, they funnel people towards the gates so you can go through the metal detector and you can make sure you have a ticket. Miller Park has, okay, walls around the outside of Miller Park. They funnel people into the gates. I mean, so to that extent, it makes sense to me. But this really isn't about a wall anymore. This is about political power. I think... Yes, it's true. I think the president blinked, but his strategy wasn't working. And I do give people credit when you've developed a certain type of strategy and it's not working. At some point in time, you've got to move on. He chose, I think, to move on today because of what was going on with up and down the eastern seaboard on air travel. And I'm glad I'm glad that he did this now before something worse happened. And I'm not minimizing the federal employees who've gone without paychecks or people who've had their flights delayed, but something really bad could have happened if more and more people didn't show up to work. And I'm glad we're moving on, and who knows what's going to happen on February 15th. I don't think there's going to be another shutdown, and hopefully Republican and Democratic senators and congressmen and women will get on board with that because th- this is just not the way to try to influence policy. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And don't get me wrong, I mean, do I think the president blinked? Yes. Do I think there's necessarily anything wrong with blinking? No. He had a strategy to try to get funding for the wall. That strategy wasn't working. It was getting worse as time was going on. Only a complete and total idiot in the face of, gee, what I want to do is once you realize that what you're trying to do isn't accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish, if, if you don't come up with an alternate strategy, well, that, that's just being completely and totally foolish. So the government reopens and February 15th, my guess is the Congress is going to be no closer to funding a barrier. That, I think, is unfortunate. 
And then President Trump is going to move to whatever Plan B is. But hopefully Plan B won't be another shutdown of the government because the shutdown didn't get him what he wanted in the first place. Trent in Franklin. Trent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. This is a great day for the country. I think it's a great day for the president. I, I don't know if the indictment of his friend this morning had anything to do with his decision. But the president got what he wanted as well. The president gets to stay the union back. And it's yep. a perfect forum to lay out your argument for the national emergency. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Now what happens to the State of the Union? The whole the State of the Union was canceled because Nancy Pelosi refused to invite him because the government wasn't open. So now, I mean, do we have a State of the Union address next week, for example? We're, we're, we're going to have one, and I think it gives him a perfect forum to lay out his argument. This guy is playing 3D chess all the time, mm-hmm. and it's amazing to watch. Okay, let me ask you the question. February 15th rolls around. The Democrats in the House won't approve funding for wall, fence, or whatever. What does he do? Does he shut the government down again? I don't think we. I don't think he will. I, again, I don't think he'll press that button. I think. I think he's going to persuade this country that the national emergency is the way to go. Mm-hmm. It won't ever come down to that. No, thank, thanks. Well, I, 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 one way or the other, I think. I, I, I don't think that we're going to be looking at a shutdown again. Again, just from a strategic point of view, and again, I understand, I'm not sure who, Donald, who President Trump takes his advice from, but, you know, if I were Mitch McConnell or if I were the Ron Johnsons of the world, I mean, you'd be sitting there saying, okay, look, this, this did not work, and it, it caused hardship to people, some more so than others, and why do we think it would work a month later? It, it just, it, that makes no sense. So I think we've moved past the shutdown, and, you know, maybe – from the perspective, big picture of this country moving forward, I have, I have cringed. I mean, I remember the the government shutdown. The first one that really comes to mind is the, because um, uh, was in the mid '90s with Newt Gingrich and and Bill Clinton. And ever since then, it seems to me that we've been careening from one shutdown to a, another, or threats of that. Maybe, maybe if you're trying to look for a silver lining here. Maybe the lesson is that, that shutdowns aren't the way to try to, you know, affect changes in public policy. And, and maybe we can get politicians to agree on that. And let's argue about stuff on, on its merits. And let's hold people accountable for, all right, you, you don't want a border wall? Fine. That means that, you know, you're, you're, you really, you don't want one of those? All right. That means maybe you're soft on border security. Elections have consequences. All those types of things. Let's talk to, Dave and Racine. Dave, you're at WTMJ. Good afternoon. Greetings. Uh, I think we got uh, three weeks uh, till February 15th to really make a lot of noise and let the you know, Democrats and the Pelosiites uh, know that uh, we want a barrier. We want border security and ask them if a barrier is immoral, is uh, is uh, human trafficking and drug trafficking uh, even as, as immoral or even worse. Uh, the other thing is if we don't get it, I think it's time to misbehave, become a real pain in the butt. Well, I mean, I, you know, it, it, well, elections do have consequences. One more call. Maurice on the east side. Maurice, the last word is yours. Hello. Yes, uh, the guys from Franklin are uh, going to say what I said, but in reverse. The only reason is, uh, Trump is, uh, is to open up the government because Stone, his buddy, is getting indicted. And he is a magician at this, is he is once somebody gets arrested on his team, it's a big smoke screen. He'll tweet about this and tweet about that to throw you off from looking at what the uh, the other oh. issue is. Is that somebody getting arrested? Maurice, thanks, thanks for the call. I'm sorry, I'm kind of up against that. So your theory is that it, it wasn't like 
not, I'm, I'm wrong. It wasn't like air delays all up and down the eastern coast. It was the fact that they arrested Roger Stone at 6 a.m. this morning. And so now all we're going to be talking about later on today is the government reopening as opposed to the Stone arrest. Interesting. You should watch the documentary. Get Me Roger Stone. It's on Netflix now. 158 Jeff Wagner. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Melissa, I'm calling an audible. I, I'm, I'm sitting here. It's a cold Friday afternoon. The, the good news is the government shutdown is over, so yes. people have air travel. You don't mm-hmm. have to worry about those delays. If you're a federal worker, you're going to get paid in a prompt fashion. We, we could do heavy lifting for the next, like, 45 minutes or an hour. Or we I could say go kinda, light. You say go lighter. I do. Right, have a little bit of fun. All right. Yeah, it's because it's it, it's going to be a brutal weekend. And, again, I, I'm, I'm trying to be. I'll grant you I, permission, Jeff. Thank you. you. Okay. Well, Melissa, <laughs> see, I, and, I, I'm, and I'm trying and see, I'm really trying to be like Susie Mary Sunshine. I'm trying to be mm-hmm. like the glass is half full guy. It's I hate cold weather. All right. It, it's three degrees outside. I feel it breaks my heart for my little dog who just doesn't. She, you know, you, you take her out and she's like, Dad, what do you mean? You expect me to do my business out here? Come on. It, it's cold. It breaks my heart. I hate I hate winter. Uh, more snow is supposed to be coming on Monday. But I'm trying to be the glasses half full guy because the truth is this is what, January 25th. So we're almost through January. February is a short month. Um I'm going to Florida for a couple of days next week and for a whole week in the middle of February. So I'm just kind of yeah, like, next down thing you know, say, it'll be spring. And, right, exactly. Yeah. Brewers on deck is this weekend. Okay. So, you know, we'll, we'll lighten it up. And again, if you're just tuning in, the, I, I think all of us would assume it is good news. The federal shutdown is over. My understanding of the mechanics are there, there's now a deal that we're, we still, we don't operate on budgets. We operate on these continuing resolutions that fund the government. So the Senate apparently, I think this afternoon, is going to vote on a continuing resolution. The House, I believe, that has to vote on the same one. The president says he signed it. But the, the government in the very near future will be open again. And that, I think, is good news. All right. Let's do a little bit lighter stuff. What happens, you know, air travel nowadays, well, to the extent that there was a cachet to it, it's, it's pretty much gone now. And I, when, when I fly on a plane, it's like I hope, I hope I can get on the plane without too many hassles. I hope the guy next to me doesn't throw up on his seat. I hope my luggage, if I've checked luggage, it's there when I get there. And I hope there's not long delays. I have very, very limited expectations. And inevitably, I understand, for example, if if you're traveling with a small child, I get that it's hard and, you know, the, the, the baby is crying and stuff. And I always try to be a little bit sympathetic. But at the same time, you know, you're sitting there, okay, and the baby's crying. Here's a different story. Couple from Michigan are extremely upset with American Airlines because American Airlines booted them off their flight on Wednesday night. Um, they were flying, they were on vacation, they're in Miami, and they were flying from Miami to Detroit. And it's a couple and they have a, a small child. Here, here is the deal. Apparently, as they show up on the plane, they get on the plane, and they say, well, we got on, we were seated. All of a sudden, um, they took us off, they closed the gate, and they said, sorry, sir, you can't, you can't be on this flight. Why did they get tossed off the flight? Well, apparently, they reeked of body odor. They just stunk. And a number of passengers started complaining to the flight attendants. And the the flight attendants, they ended up getting involved, and they apparently concurred 
that these people smelled really bad. And so what they did is they said, no, we're, we're sorry, we're, we're not going to let you on this flight. So what they did is they took them off the flight, they um, booked them into a hotel for the night, they gave them meal vouchers, and they let them fly to Detroit that they rebooked them. But they said, no, you know, all these people are complaining about the fact that you smell, and so, no, we're going to have to ask you to leave leave the plane. Well, the the folks that were were tossed off the plane, they they resented this. And so they've now gone public with their story. They call up the TV station. We got tossed off the plane because of body odor. Can you imagine? And interestingly, in this case, American Airlines, like I say, they didn't back down. They said, yeah, they said the Adler family were asked to the plane last night after several passengers, along with our crew members, complained about their body odor. They were provided hotel accommodations and meals and rebooked on a flight to Detroit today. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the couple says, well, we don't think we smelled that bad, right? And I guess maybe that's in, I don't know, maybe if you smell really bad and you're used to yourself, it doesn't bother you. But, I mean, this was a deal where apparently multiple, not just like one complainer, but multiple people on the plane and the crew, crew members, concurred that these people just stunk. So they asked them to get off the plane, and then again they paid for a hotel, paid for meal vouchers, and rebooked them the next day. Did American Airlines handle this improperly? 414-799-1620. I guess more to the point, should should airlines should airlines care if somebody stinks? <laughs> you know, I mean it's it, it's you know, if somebody decides, "Hey, I don't want to wash or whatever and I want to stink, it's it's my right to do it." 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. American, for their part, they say, yeah, this is this is what happens. I mean, we people were complaining. They smelled. We asked them to leave the plane. We rebooked them. We gave them a hotel room. They came back the next day. They didn't smell, and we let them fly. 414-799-1620, do you fault American for what they did? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, text line exploding. Good for American. I have a very acute sense of smell and uh, about gag at body odor and strong smells. American was more than generous to rebook them and give them their meals in a hotel. Hope they told them to use the hotel shower. Um, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Another texter says handled it well and professionally. Another texter, though, says... Um, nope, they should not do this under no circumstances should you toss somebody off simply because of body odor. All right, let's start with Mark and Racine. Mark, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? What do you think? I think that last texter should have those people sit next to him for about an hour <laughs> or her. I, look, I, I work hard some days, hard enough that I go through my own deodorants, you know, and start having a smell. And I, I, it's all I can do not to get home and get that off of me. Right. And that's my own smell. Right. You, you expect paying passengers have to sit and deal with not one but two people stink? Right. That's not even. That's not even right. Yeah, on the, on the space, you know, it's. I mean, I don't know. It's Miami to Detroit, so my guess is that's probably a three, three and a half hour flight or something like that. I, I do. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I here's the problem. I get that odor is a subjective sort of thing, and that you, you got to kind of be careful. I mean, for for example. 
Um, there, there are some, there are some people, some ladies, and I don't mean to be sick, but some ladies who like bathe in perfume and, and you know, it, it's like you walk in and it's like this overpowering, you know, smell of, of perfume, perfume. And you go, Oh my gosh, who's wearing that? And it, it almost, and I understand that that creates allergies and stuff. You have to be, you got to be careful about that. Well, you know, what, what, at what point in time does one person's perfume or one person's scent, you know, become just, just objectionable to everybody? In this particular case, though, it doesn't sound like it was just one person. I mean, they had multiple people who were complaining, and then the flight attendants going, yeah, these people really smell bad. I do think that there, there, there is sort of a common standard here, and I do think American is within its rights to be looking out for the passengers a, as a whole. And this idea being, hey, okay, you, you have a right to be on this airplane, but at the same time, there's all these other people that have paid money too, and I think they have certain expectations. Let's talk to Scott on the south side. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, I will never forget this as long as I live, but my wife and I were flying back from Germany on Lufthansa. Big, huge L1011. L- right. And there was a whole family of five sitting in front of us, and that same problem, uh, except it was a triple threat, because when we were flying, they also smoked, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, because it was a smoky flight back then, and um, they also brought food with them that did not smell well. And we literally asked, us, there was nothing we do as a full flight, so we, we stood in the back of the plane for almost six and a half hours. <laughs> right. Well, there, was, I mean, there was nothing we do, so I, I totally agree. I, it, it, it comes to the point where you got to know that there's something <laughs> that you got to yeah. do for yourself. Well, well, right. I mean, and, right, thanks, thanks for calling. This idea that, well, what you know, it, it's it's my business. Who who is anybody else? To tell me that I I don't that I have to you know be clean or not stink or whatever. And and that's fine as far as it goes. But when it starts affecting other people, including you know several hundred other people that are in this closed area. All right, here's a text, uh, Jeff. I say bravo for this move. As a former public transit driver, I can't tell you how many times I had to endure the foul odor of a passenger that always decided to sit up front next to me. And the rule was, no matter who complained, we weren't allowed to put them off the bus. And this was an average ride of 20 minutes. I couldn't imagine enduring that for you know, a four-hour flight. Another text, Jeff, American Airlines did absolutely the right thing. I'm no stranger to air travel. I fly every week for work. A similar situation happened to me a few years ago flying from St. Louis to Minneapolis. A man's odor was so offensive, everyone around him got up and walked around during the flight, sprayed perfume and hairspray. The flight attendants hung up bags of coffee grounds. It was one of the most miserable hours of my life. Yeah, well, I, I think there are certain public standards, and I think, you know, airlines and again, you you could argue, you could argue. Oh, you know, there's if there's one person that complains and the airline is overreacting. But in this particular case, I mean, apparently there was a general consensus that these people smelled really, really bad. And so, just like the airlines, I think have a right to have certain dress codes saying we're not going to let you come on wearing certain objectionable clothing. I guess I see this in the same category. Let's talk to Kate in Caledonia. Kate, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing tonight? I'm well, thank you. And I promise when I get on an airplane next week, I'll take a shower beforehand. I promise. Oh, please, will you? (laughs) Because that is the most offensive thing ever. So, So I travel myself and a lot to go see family in New York. And I totally agree with you and agree with American Airlines that if the person did have an offensive odor and it was affecting multiple people, yeah, they 
they they should be evacuated because seriously, it's it's making the trip depending on how long it is. Right. Not very. Not you know not. Right. Not how you would want it to be, you know? <laughs> right. And it, well, and it might be, look, I understand that some people are particularly sensitive to smells. Oh, and yeah. in that case, you know, maybe if you've got a lady that's got like some strong perfume on or a guy that's got yeah. some strong cologne on, maybe that's one where you just work it out and you try to like get people to switch seats or whatever. In this like particular, yeah. Like me being pregnant right now, my nose is like a basset hound. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can, I smell like the weirdest things and like, that would probably would have bothered me the most. Yeah. If I could smell, like, say, a couple of miles, not a couple of miles away, but a couple of feet away, I would have been like, yeah. oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with this all the way home to, you know, Milwaukee or yeah. wherever we're going. Okay, you know? so, Kate, how, how, when are you due? I'm due February 28th. Okay. With a beautiful baby boy. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, congratulations. Secondly, what's Thank it like you. to be eight months pregnant in two-degree weather? Um, it actually is great because I'm a hot box at night, so I, <laughs> so it's, it's making for great sleeping weather. Okay. So. All right. Okay. So, yeah. Good night, Kind of crack. Right. I appreciate that. No, thanks for calling and, and congratulations and good luck. Jeff, uh, uh, let's see, hit the wrong button. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. I like that basset hound simile. <laughs> yeah. um, well, but one, you, you got to be careful. She's eight months pregnant, so you know. I mean, it just you know, she gets to say it, but nobody else gets to comment on it. You know. Yeah, definitely with you on that one. But um, once again, we have a situation where um, it's applicable to Spock, where the needs of many outweigh the needs of the one. <laughs> I, I really uh, do commend airline, uh, the airlines for doing this, and I yeah. wish other businesses would follow suit. Um, particularly certain gyms where I've encountered people who smell like they haven't showered <laughs> since Blockbuster Video was popular. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for the call. Always one of those potentials. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. All right, let's take a quick break. Two twenty-five, Jeff. I, I agree. I think American Airlines did absolutely the right thing. Two twenty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty-eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two degrees outside. Going to be cold for this weekend. Then looks like we're going to get a lot of snow, and then it's going to get really cold for a few days. All right, I'm going to be the glasses half full guy because that's the kind of guy I am. At least sometimes it, it is the end of January, so we're we're getting closer to spring. Just get through get through the next few days, and then we're going to be looking at February, and then soon we're going to be looking at March, and pretty soon it's going to be the time. It's going to be summertime. And we're going to be complaining that it's 85 degrees and humid outside. Well, all right, I want to kind of jump the gun on that just just a little bit. This is the segment. We do this every week at this time. It's called Pop Culture Corner, where we talk about you know, things that are that are going on from a pop culture perspective. Sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's vacations. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's sports. All part of the popular culture. Today, I want to turn to the world of music. Now, here's what kind of triggered this. You know, we are getting, we being Milwaukee, we are getting a lot of great performers and concerts coming through. 
One of the things, you, you've got a number of great venues that are out there. Earlier this week, Neil Young was at uh, the Riverside Theater. And, you know, look, I, I, I know old Neil's a, a cranky liberal, but that doesn't mean that he's, you know, not part of the not part of the popular culture. And if you grew up as a child of the 70s, you grew up as probably as a fan of, of Neil Young. And then, you know, for the first time in a long time, Bob Seger was in town. He's doing his farewell tour. And, again, you never know with these farewell tours, whether it's farewell tour one, farewell tour two, or whatever. But Bob Seger says this is his farewell tour. He played at the Fiserv Forum yesterday, and by all accounts, sold out. It was a spectacular event. And I, I mean, Bob Seger's just an, I was not there last night, but Bob Seger's just a tremendous performer. So I was thinking, okay, you've got these, these really, it's a cold winter's night. You've got all these great performers and great music. And I thought, let's merge these two together. I think when I think of the soundtrack of my life, but also kind of like the soundtrack of the summer, there are certain songs that just scream summer to me. And one of those songs that would be in the top three or four of my list would be Bob Seger and the song Night Moves. Whenever I hear Bob Seger, Seger singing Night Moves, it just, I don't know, it evokes a, a certain time, maybe a certain time in my life, but it, it just it, you just think of a hot summer night. And I thought for Pop Culture Corner this week, we'd have a little bit of fun. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are looking at near-record cold over the next couple days. All right, let's flip the script. Let's discuss songs that say summer. All right, what is the song that just screams a hot summer night, a warm summer day? What is the song that screams summer to you? And we'll think about that and keep warm thoughts. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your song of summer. We are back to discuss in just a moment. As I always advise during these segments, call early because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to try to get to as many calls as possible. And don't overthink things. Sometimes just, just go with your first instinct. That's always the best. 414-7, at least when it comes to this, 414-799-1620, your song of the summer. Warm thoughts on a cold Friday afternoon. It's 241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty-four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner. It's cold outside. We're thinking about the summer. The song that evokes summer to you, Helen in New Berlin. Helen, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Helen. Um, in, in the summertime, by Mondo Jerry, and I forgot what one more under the boardwalk. Under the board by the Drifters. Okay, yes. Mongo oh, Jerry. <laughs> do, do, do you know that that's that's not the name? There, there's there's not a person named Mongo Jerry. Did you know that? No, I did not, but oh. I know that's supposedly the name of the guy that does the song, though. Right, no, that's the bit, right. Thanks for calling. No, Mungo, here, all right, here's my little bit of trivia. Mungo Jerry, that, that's, that, that's the name of the band. There's not a person named that. And you know where Mungo Jerry comes from? It comes from, see, this is, this is why this is an educational show as well. It comes from uh, T.S. Eliot's, the, the T.S. Eliot poems that later went on to, to become uh, the, the, the show Cats. Mungo Jerry is one of the, the cats there, and they, they, they took the name. It's interesting. Helen mentions In the Summertime. That has now, that's a very politically incorrect song nowadays. That's one of these songs that by 2019 standards people don't like because they're, you got that lyric, if her daddy's rich, take her out for a meal. If her daddy's poor, just do what you feel. Um, some people find that to be offensive. 
That's in the summertime, 1970. See, now you know about Mungo Jerry. Steve in Waukesha. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Uh, so I'm dating myself going back into the mid-70s, and I'm driving my 67 GTO out at Dick Cedar Lake listening to <laughs> Stephen Wolf's Magic Carpet Ride. Oh, right. So it just whenever you hear Magic Carpet Ride, it's the sound of the summer, huh? Oh, man, oh, man. Uh, my A-track and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, you really are dating yourself when you say eight track. <laughs> there's no, yeah, I know. There's I no, know. I, you know, I don't understand why they were so popular. It would always, I mean, they, they cut out in the middle. It seemed they'd always change tracks in the middle of the song or something like that. I never quite got the eight track phenomena. Yeah. But no, but they were, th- thanks for the call. You, okay, Gru, who's producing, do you know what an eight track tape is? You, you do know. Okay, yeah, right. It's, it's, yeah, that was, you used to back in the day. You know, you, you'd have a you'd have a stereo that you'd be put in your car separately, and you'd have these eight track tapes, and you'd pop that in, and then right in the middle of a lyric, it would seem it always like change to the different one. But no, those were those were big. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Your soundtrack of the summer. I got to thinking about this because number one, it's cold outside. Want to warm things up. Number two, Bob Seger was in town last night. Night moves is one of one. That one of the other. I I would also say for me, like almost anything by Van Morrison, but you know, Brown Eyed Girl. Oh. Brown-eyed girl. I mean that to me that just evokes the summer. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to let's see. Scott in Appleton. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Okay, the song your soundtrack of the summer. Hot Child in the City. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Glitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my high school teenage days. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, it brings back good memories, right? You know, well, raising hormones back now for a teenager, you know. <laughs> That's it. Hot, hot, thank, I, I, I seem to remember that. No, thanks to go. Hot Child, Summer in the City, 414-799-1620. Pat in Manitowoc. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Anything to do with the Beach Boys, California girls, Endless Summer, any of them. Yeah, East Coast girls are hip. I really dig those styles they wear. Yeah, Cal- oh, California absolutely. girls. Yeah, I, you know... It's amazing. I was watching this documentary on the Beach Boys not that long ago, and you forget they had so many great tunes. You kind of forget, oh, that was a Beach Boys tune. Yeah, that was a Beach Boys tune. You kind of forget about that. That is correct, but they are the best. No, thanks for the call. California Girls, um, uh, no question about it. That is a song of the summer. Pat in Sheboygan Falls. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, the two of them that I had before was Mungo Jerry Summertime by the Beach Boys. But another one is Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress by the Hollies. Oh, yes. That's, um, yeah. And matter of fact, that was, whatever year that came out, that was, I, I remember where I was. And that was a big song of a particular summer, too. Yes, by the Hollies. No question about it. No. Thanks for the call. No, I, Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. That works for me. Let's talk to Jim and Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, sir. All right. I, I was at the concert last night. Oh, was it good? It was very good. Yeah. Very, very good. He yeah. did very well. Yeah, I was a little bit concerned because, you know, he had canceled, Seeger had canceled, like, earlier shows because he had a back surgery or something like that. But he, yeah. he, was, he, he, was in good, he was in fine form, huh? 
He was very good. He was he was jumping around as much as a seventy three year old can jump around. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Understood. Uh, my my favorite is, uh, what reminds me of summer is a uh, hot town summer in the city. Back of my neck getting dirty and gritty. Yep. 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 Um, no, th- that's it. That's another outstanding one. No question about it. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, this one came out a little bit later in my age, but I did what this song was all about and it was kid rock did that song all summer right, long right you know about going up in northern michigan and yes meeting a girl and having a good old time like yep. you know and when when i was younger that's what i did and i did meet some girls when i was <laughs> yeah you know it's it, it's interesting i'm a it surprises i'm a big fan of kid rock i i liked a lot of his early stuff too yes. and um i you know i, I think he's really kind of grown as an artist but right that that all summer long um it's just it, it works for me and it, it's definitely that would be one that would be on my top five list as well you know no yeah, no my, question it about gives it me goosebumps when i hear it especially yeah. in this cold weather right yeah now. Well, well that's it now thank, thanks so you know it, it's interesting we've got the brewers on deck thing that's coming up on sunday and i you couldn't do a segment like this without saying you know i mean think about some think about john fogarty and you know some of the any of almost any of the Creedence songs you would think about that but also you know center field I mean that's that's one that just it brings back baseball and it brings the summer you know no no question about it four one four seven nine nine one six twenty let's talk to Dave in Waukesha Dave good afternoon hey Jeff hey Jeff how you doing I'm good soundtrack of the summer for you song well, of the summer for some reason it's become timeless because I grew up in the same era as you did and it still is Leonard Skinner Freebird I don't know why <laughs> invokes summer but it just it just does just well. I'm not going to argue with you anything about Skinner. I am a huge, 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 huge Leonard Skinner fan. Um, and I, I always wonder what would have happened if you hadn't lost Ronnie Van Zant in that in yeah. that plane crash. Whenever you know, you you wonder what they would have gone on to do. Yeah, I mean, a good a good second place category would be just about anything by Kenny Chesney. I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he's oh. a lot of cool summers. Oh yeah, I mean right. I mean right about. But thanks for call. But no, I mean thanks for mentioning Skinner. I mean I just uh, there's just so. I mean Freebird, of course, is the thing that everybody shouts out and uh, play Freebird. But they, you know, Leonard Skinner has so many other great tunes as well. Let's talk to Barry on the east side. Barry on WTMJ. I'd say just about anything by Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> yeah, that's I. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Buffett fan. All right, if you had to pick one Buffett tune, what would it be? Probably Margaritaville. Okay, okay. Um, I, yeah, I understand. I, I tell you, thanks for call. I, you know, it's funny. I just, I, I, I mean, I. Everybody knows I go to a couple Buffett shows a year, I'm, and I've been doing that for more years than I want to even admit to. I'm a huge Buffett fan. Actually, Margaritaville is one of the. Uh, to me, it's always been a kind of a novelty song, and it's it's not one of my favorites. Um, I think he does great ballads. If we were asking me, okay, Jimmy Buffett's song of the summer, Fins. Fins to the left, Fins to the right. That would be it for me. Paul in Wauwatosa. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey there. Um, you know, a gentleman already took California Girls, so I'm going to go way out in left field. Uh, Donovan, Mellow Yellow. Uh, oh, <laughs> You're just wild about saffron, huh? That's it, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was playing uh, during, now, 42, I, I wasn't around then, but that was playing, if you remember the movie, that was playing during my summer of 42. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We're, we're, we, you went from a boy to a man, in other words, huh? <laughs> yeah, somewhat, yeah. yeah. I, 
got, I was 15 and got to take my dad's Lincoln Continental out and uh, got my first date. Oh, I know. we're, we're uh, just going to Paul. We're going to stop. We're going to stop right there. Thanks for going. This is this is theater of the mind. We'll let everybody listening just speculate on on what happened in that dad, dad's Lincoln Continental um, to the tune of uh, I'm to the tune of uh, Mellow Yellow. Uh, let's see. Got a couple texts here. Hot Sun in the Summertime by Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah, you cannot go wrong with that at all. A lot of stuff for uh, Jimmy Buffett, Steve Miller Band, you know, um, Live in the USA, REO Speedwagon, Take the Money and Run. So many great songs. And look, here's the reason I want to do this. Okay, it's three degrees outside. It's going to be bitterly cold and nasty this weekend. It is going to warm up on Monday so we can get a bunch of snow, and then it's going to get even colder for the next couple days. So instead of just complaining and screaming about the cold weather, my advice is, okay, find one of those tunes that you like and pull it up and play it. It will make you feel warmer. That is my contribution to your enjoyment this weekend. It is 2.55. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.